0: if you're a writer, you're a bit like a dairy farmer, you know, diversify. That's what I feel like. Yoghurt, ice cream, you know, closet cream. Yes, what can I do now?
1: Welcome to Talking Simulator, a series of short conversations about video games with interesting people who play them. I'm Jordan Erica Weber, and in this episode, I discuss the puzzle adventure game, I Am Dead, with my guest, Katherine Johnson.
0: I'm Catherine Johnson, and well I write books and telly and film and radio and anything, and this is the first time I've written a game. So
1: you. <laughs> I met Catherine at a virtual event run by the British Council, where I moderated a discussion about I Am Dead with her and two of the other developers, Dick Hogg and Ricky Haggett. Catherine was delightful, so I knew I had to get her on the podcast, and I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Due to a technical issue, you may occasionally be able to hear the clink of cutlery as I eat pumpkin pie in the background. Just pretend we live in a world where Catherine and I were able to meet in person and record this slightly more natural-sounding chat. I really hope you enjoy this interview, which delves into what it's like to write your first video game after many years of writing other forms of media. I've been
0: writing books for children and young adults for over a quarter of a century, but I also write TV, I've written things like Holby City, I've written uh, historical stuff with Simon Sharma, <laughs> and I do drama and film, and I'm currently adapting uh, Miranda Kaufman's The Black Tudors for Delhi.
1: And a fellow of the Royal Society of Literature as well. Oh yes, yeah.
0: only uh, in the last year and a bit. But yes, that's exciting. I've got letters now.
1: Oh. <laughs> I'm so surprised you don't always add it to your name and talk it's about it all the time. Key, isn't it?
0: <laughs> it's a bit like oh yes, I haven't got an MBE or an OBE or I'm not a lord, but it's a bit like that, isn't it? So.
1: <laughs> Do you prefer Catherine or Kat? or either?
0: When I was younger, I used to always be Cat, but then mm. there comes to a stage in your life when you're a Probably pushing 40. You cannot introduce yourself to people as cat because it sounds ridiculous to people who don't know you. <laughs> and, uh, and then my landlady for years was another Catherine also called cat by people she knew. It was very complicated. But there go.
1: So one reason that I was particularly interested to talk to you apart from because I loved I Am Dead is because you don't usually write video games. So let's talk a little bit about your other work. So you've written a lot of books. But I think there are some common themes across some of them. So how would you summarise the kinds of books you tend to write?
0: Well, for the past probably 10, 15 years, they've mostly all been historical. But Mm. I think even before that, I have done nonfiction, but it's a lot about belonging, I think. Mm. I think all stories, whoever's writing them, mostly are about love. I don't mean romantic love. I mean Mm. humanness. So, yeah, but belonging, I think. And lies and truth. Mm, That's a big thing.
1: Why do you think that appeals to you?
0: Because if you're writing stories, you are essentially a professional liar, because that's what you do, (laughs) isn't it? They're all lies, but they have truth in them. So... I think Philip Pullman said, you know, some of his things, I really like Ruby in the Smoke. I like those better. Anyway, he said that writing stories is telling the truth with lies Mm. because you are telling truths about the human condition, which sounds really wanky, but in a made up way.
1: I also love Ruby in the Smoke, by the way.
0: (gasps) My favourite, The Tiger in the Well, the last one. Yeah. (gasps) my favourite, because it's, it's all those big themes done accessibly. This is why I like writing for children and young adults. Big ideas made
1: accessible. And you've won a few awards for your writing, but I'm particularly interested in this, the Little Rebels Award. Can you explain what that is?
0: <laughs> yes, it was set up by the Radical Association of Radical Booksellers. So it's books that deal with interesting, radical other ideas. A famous win was I Am Henry Finch, it's about philosophy. So they don't necessarily have to be, you know, right on, although it is. But <laughs> they're books that deal with other ideas. I used to be, years ago, I used to be a judge in it, and one of my favourites, which didn't win, was Mr Bunny's Chocolate Factory by Ellis Dolan, which is about the evils of capitalism, but it's set in a chocolate factory run by a rabbit where the workers are hens, and it's absolutely brilliant. It's a lovely prize because well any win is good because there's so many books and you know i am a mid author i'm not mrs starry i chunter along so to have some sort of recognition is lovely
1: And now you're branching out into other forms of writing as well. So we'll talk about writing for games in a minute. But I wanted to also make sure that we mentioned the television project, this Black Tudors project. So what can you tell me about that?
0: Because the book is a non-fiction. So Miranda Kaufman's book, The Black Tudors, which is a great read, if you like history. I mean, I love history. It's a whole load of different people over the Tudor period. So, you know, you're, what we're making is a drama It's a bit like you've got orange juice and you've got sunny delight. So we're setting (laughs) this series in a black British family. One half of the family are a scion of African Dutch weavers. And the other is somebody who came through Christ Hospital. Because it was the beginning of social mobility as well. But it's also, it's actually exploring pre-industrial slavery racism or the lack of it. Because it's not Mm. to say there wasn't a difference, but it wasn't that institutionalized racism that came later so it's not to say that people weren't surprised by a difference but it worked differently our series is set at 1600 the moroccan ambassador there's a treaty that it doesn't get signed but elizabeth's tudor england is friendless in europe so they're looking to make alliances and this would have been the first christian islam alliance so it's a bloody big wow. deal because, yeah, I know. And it really happened. And then, of course, Mr. Shakespeare, <laughs> about a year later, wrote Othello. <laughs> Not saying anything, but, you know. <laughs> So it was a big theme. And there were lots of plays at the time exploring Orientalism. If you look at a lot of paintings at the time, in fact, I'm going off topic now. After the no, Fair Moroccan Treaty, England made a treaty with Spain, which obviously because of Catherine of Aragon had been really difficult in the past. And you look at the rug, they've got a Turkish rug. There was all this stuff coming from Turkey mm. or North Africa. North Africa was full of gold, so you know.
1: I feel like white people in the UK often don't know a lot about the history of how long black people have been in the country, right? Do you come across that a lot?
0: That's why I started running history. I mean, I am mixed race. My parents married a long time ago. It's hard to imagine nowadays how odd that was. Even in London, my mother's family were monoglot Welsh speakers. My grandparents didn't speak English at all. And up there, you know one was different but everybody knew who I was so it wasn't a problem but that feeling I didn't come from Jamaica where my dad came from I didn't come from Wales where my mum came from this is all I've got so mm. it was discovering history you know yes people like me have been here forever and you know you grow up thinking history is like a quality street tin or Downton Abbey uh, or something not Downton Abbey it would have been upstairs downstairs but when you look at it and even you just open your eyes. So even if you were walking around in London and you look at Nelson's Column, because at that time there was a big, big chunk of the Navy that was non-white. Mm. We've been here forever. Yeah.
1: So, given your own kind of personal experience then with race, do you think that's why you write about belonging so much? Of course.
0: Yeah. I, I'm pretty comfortable in my skin now. I think, and you, you know, everyone is uncomfortable in their skin growing up or longer I think everybody is it's something everyone can relate to Mm. in fact my mother always said to me you know you can use your heritage as a peg to hang all your neuroses on if you want aren't you lucky
1: (laughs) (laughs) when it comes to I am dead then I'm interested actually to find out whether you think that those themes that you normally write about continue through into this game but first of all let's get you to describe the game in your own words how would you describe it
0: It's a lovely game set in a fictional sort of reality meets 1950s meets future meets (laughs) a sort of distillation of English seasideness. But there's also the guide to the world of the dead. What's the word for that? Because my daughter told me, oh, you mean the psychopomp, which is such a fantastic (laughs) word. So it's a game set in this wonderful seaside off world you know because it is it's nostalgic but it's not nostalgic it's futuristic but it's not futuristic it's weird but it's familiar in which a psychopomp helps you guide other spirits to the world of the dead and there's knitting
1: (laughs) was that you that was all you
0: (laughs) I think so
1: (laughs) So, do you think then that you were able to carry across the themes that you normally write about in your books?
0: I think they come out. I think what I enjoyed, and I mean, it's so lovely seeing it in real life and with the voices. It's always lovely when something you've written, you hear it coming out of other people's mouths. It's a bit scary. But I think when we got to the heart of what the myth was and writing the end, I felt very connected to it. And I felt I'd done something worthwhile because, you know, these guys, Dick and Ricky know what they're doing. They're great. They've got a great team. I love Dick's visuals. Mm. So really, you know, when I have a job like that, which is like if you're writing something that exists that you did not create. So while some people I might have given names to or suggested things, you know, it's their world and I'm aware that it's their world. What you want to do is say, What can I do for you? And obviously you're going to go off a bit on whatever interests you. But, you know, (laughs) it's got to be what works for the game, I think, in that.
1: Or whatever the job is, you know? How did you feel about the prospect of working on a game that was about death?
0: Oh, lovely. Of course. I mean, do you know what I mean? I mean, I've written all sorts of things. I think one of my favourite books is about a young surgeon in the 18th century. This is tame and lovely. What I enjoyed was all the quirks of the world, which a lot of them were built in. But death, you know, death is part of life. What's nice about this is it is about memory and it is about what other people remember of you. And that makes who you are, which is a bit back to front, but lovely.
1: You sounded so excited there about the prospect of writing about death and it makes me wonder because I think people probably will wonder how someone who has written so many books right would end up writing their first video game and I want to know about your motivation like what made you go yeah I'll give this a try was it that you'd always wanted to write a
0: game or? I'd never thought of writing a game I was very interested in working with Dick and Ricky Mm. it was them I mean Yes, i definitely do it again, but it's I Am Dead is very different from most video games. I've got millennial children, either side of 30, you know, who know about games. In a way, I do not, you know. <laughs> it's not my culture. I'm well aware that some people my age it is, And I did play, you know, what did I play when they were kids? I used to play with them, zombies, mostly, (laughs) and Zelda, the very early Zelda. And then when Zelda got a horse, I quite liked it, but it was a bit annoying. Um, (laughs) So I've got a very limited experience of it. The recent one I played was when I had my eldest daughter here who lives in Canada for a bit. In the before times, I might add, (laughs) um, she showed me the goose game.
1: Which oh, yeah.
0: Easy. And obviously, it's something somebody like me can play very easily. You don't have to commit to it. I think it's the committing to things. But it was fun.
1: I just wondered if it, maybe you'd characterise yourself as the kind of person who just likes to try new things. So when this opportunity came along, you just kind of grabbed it.
0: Yeah, it's more like if you're a writer, you're a bit like a dairy farmer, you know, diversified. <laughs> That's what I feel like yogurt, ice cream, you know, clotted cream. Yes, what can I do now? <laughs> so it's more that and it's an opportunity why aren't you gonna try it you know I'm not gonna go no
1: what's the process of working on the game like compared to how you work when you write books
0: oh you know what it was one of the funnest jobs I mean I like writing books but you do it you're there on your own mm. and you sort of have to trick your head into I don't Listen to everything Philip Pullman said, but he said something really good about story. Where what it's like is when you're trying to get a wild animal to take some food out of your hand, if you stare at it, it'll look away. So, what you have to do is sort of pretend you're not looking, and that's what I have to do with writing books like get up really early and do it before I've started thinking of other things. <laughs> Whereas, if I'm working on a project which is collaborative, whether it is TV or film or the game. It's a bit different because also with the game, you know, I'd get a sheaf of drawings sent over, you know, I mean, digitally. And you look at these lovely pictures, you know, and you'd see the world. And what was much better with the game, for instance, when you're working on a TV thing, which is collaborative but in a different way, you're always reacting to notes and you're always sort of it's like you're jumping around. With Dick and Ricky, we spent a lot of time talking about stuff. Within the hierarchy of ideas, I never felt that mine were worth any less than theirs, even though it was their world. You felt you could just muck about with it. And that's the other thing about stories. What are stories? All stories, all games is play, actually. It's like, you know, you're doing with Lego or dressing up your animals and making them do stuff. Not real animals, furry animals. (laughs) That's what stories is, isn't
1: it? So I suppose you're kind of saying in some ways, apart from it being collaborative, it's not really that much different because even when you're writing a book, you're still engaging in a kind of playful activity.
0: It's pretending. All it is. All writing is pretending.
1: (laughs) So in I Am Dead you are a ghost looking for other ghosts. And for each of these ghosts that you're trying to find, you explore one part of this island, Shelmerston, and you dive into the memories of people who knew them. And then you use this kind of slicing mechanic that Dick and Ricky made to look through objects to find mementos from the person who has died. So as far as writing in the game, as far as like the actual written words, there is dialogue, there are memories, and there are object descriptions. Did all of that fall under your remit?
0: Oh, it was mostly the dialogue. I did a lot of, you know, scene setting backstory. Mm. So we did a lot of memories. We didn't use all of the memories. Mm. But yes, setting out the memories, deciding who the people were. Sometimes I made the people, sometimes the people were there already. Sometimes the setup was there already. Actually, with the woman in the sculpture park, where she goes off with her friends and buries the beer, that was was based on something from my own life. <laughs> but you know, uh, obviously, I've never done yoga with a robot. But it was a mixture, <laughs> and you know, they're battered about. But the the framework, I know this is my five little memory framework. You know, that was decided on, and then we'd try different things and what the memories would be. You know.
1: And this kind of five parts, this five-part structure that you just alluded to, that's kind of how you ended up working with Dick and Ricky, right? Like you were advising them and then they, they came to you. So can you explain this five-part structure?
0: Well, it is something I use very loosely in novels. I did BBC Writers Academy where they train you to write for soaps and it's like, 5 story structure. Oh. So I <laughs> met Dick. I knew Dick. He's a friend in Hastings and he knew I was a writer and he said, Will you explain story structure to me? So I talked to him about, you know, inciting incident, B story, climax, you know, worst point, resolution. And I gave him some homework to go and do on holiday. (laughs) And I think he quite enjoyed it. It was just a way of breaking the story down Mm. so you could have one sentence for each scene. And that's how I got into it, really.
1: So... When it came to writing these moments, these memories with the characters and their objects and things, what came first? Did you get the character and then you had to come up with a memory or? All of them
0: were a bit different. So sometimes with Sam, the pilot, Mm. and her partner, the toucan. So we knew Sam's partner was the toucan. Mm -hmm. We didn't necessarily know much about what the sea creatures did so out of thinking about that came the Toast Shack, which is what would sea creatures love most? Obviously something crispy, because that's what you wouldn't have if you lived under the water. It was different things. With the yoga guy, mm. I think some of the objects got included and there were objects that, okay, that doesn't fit the story. Because sometimes the story got too complicated. Oh, you know, the medal. The, so am I giving this away? <laughs> it's not that sort of a game though is it really
1: no I don't think so
0: no so with you know the memories you had to decide what the character's life had been like Mm -hmm. and then decide what the other person's memory of that man was which is sort of a bit of a sideways thing because you had to do a lot of work building up who the guy was where's his life for somebody else to remember a little fraction of it
1: Let's talk a bit about the world building then, because one of my favourite things about the game was the island Shelmiston, because it felt so familiar to me as someone who grew up on the British coast. And from your books, I get the sense that you often, you know, as they say, write what you know, right? Like you write stories set in Wales, where you spend a lot of time and things like that. But in the game, this kind of mundanity of the everyday lives of normal people gets contrasted with all of these fantastical elements like we briefly mentioned like the fish people and the bird people and this protective island spirit so how on earth did you strike that balance when you were writing these stories between the very mundane everyday normal lives and then these fantastical elements?
0: I think really credit for that has to go to Dick's art Mm. because you know a lot of it Was just suggested by there they are. I mean, one of my favourite things. I love the seafront with the little shops, and I loved the museum. I mean, that was one of the first things they sort of let me do was fill the museum with stuff. Some of the stuff I borrowed from Pitt Rivers. There's a lot of knitting in the museum. Um, (laughs) You know, they have gans. They have knitting wars on different islands (laughs) with different gansy patterns and different. You don't. You know was a lot of work went into that so that was really good fun we've got a little museum there's the Hastings Museum which is inland a bit more where we had some uh, lovely meeting but there's also a funny museum actually on the seafront in Hastings where I live and Dick lives which I think that's what that museum physically the inside looks like it was really good fun for me I'm sure it was much I think it was probably much harder for them because I was peripheral Mm. I could just play. I had none of the responsibility of, you know, I wasn't dealing with the publishers. I wasn't dealing with, you know, the people who are making all this shit. All I did was have to waft around and pretend stuff, you know.
1: (laughs) How did the experience measure up to what you'd expected that writing a video game would be like?
0: I had no idea. If I'd talked to somebody who had written a game, maybe I would have not done it. But it wouldn't have been, you know, it's not a normal game. Mm. And I expect... Just like a book, every experience is different, but the same. So, you know, what there isn't in this game is an idea that, oh, you kill this creature and then you have to kill this creature. And if you don't kill that creature within a certain time or or fast enough or something, then this happens. So it wasn't that. It wasn't that kind of experience at all. And working with them was absolute joy like I said, because you felt you could throw anything into the pot, you know, and it would be like, oh, maybe that's a good idea. No, I don't like
1: that. Oh, that's a, you know? Yeah. Would you recommend other book writers give this a try? No, because then I won't get the work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, of course, it's like, you know, you do what you do. And I think there's a really successful kids book called Nights and Bikes, which is Gabriel mm. Kent, who's done a lot of work in games. So, I mean, there's going to be a natural crossover. You know, people forget reading. I love reading, but you know, there are lots of different ways to come to reading and reading used to be the thing that people didn't want you to do. They didn't want you to sit on your ass reading a book all day because you were just, you weren't experiencing the world. You know, I think too much of anything you know, I mean, I'm talking about with kids now, people are like, not do that. And now they're obviously, because everybody's furloughed, oh, you must play games now because i <laughs> can stay in your house and not go out. I don't know.
1: <laughs> I think that's all of my questions, Catherine, unless there's anything else that you wanted to talk about, about the experience of writing the game.
0: The only thing, only other thing I want to say, one of the funnest things that I got to do when I did the game was write a song, not the music. I got to write a sea shanty about sex, blood and death. <laughs> I was sort of, oh, ah. and then I woke up at four o'clock in the morning, and just wrote the words of this thing. It's almost like, yes. And then the guy who does Misty's Big Adventure did the music and the arranging. And it's like this grim sea shanty and I'm so proud. You have a sea shanty. <sighs> yeah, I would love to write more sea shanties. <laughs>
1: You know, it's becoming a thing in games. Maybe you could make a living as a sea shanty writer.
0: <laughs> yeah, I should have that on my. After Fellow of the Royal Society of Literature, sea shanties. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll sing you
1: a song of the Queen of the Sea. If you'd like to hire Catherine to write you a sea shanty, seek her out on Twitter at catrote. You can play I Am Dead, and I really recommend you do on PC or Nintendo Switch. I'm always so touched when people tell me they like the podcast. So if you want to make me smile, go ahead and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and tweet and let us know at Talking Simpod. You can find me at Jerica Weber. Our music is by Jazz Mickle. You can find her at Jazz Mickle. Talking Simulator is edited by Lemington's loveliest audio person. Dan Parks. If you need to make something sound good, you can find him at Dan C. Parks. I'm Jordan Erica Webber. Talk again soon. When I first Also, I'm eating a slice of pumpkin pie right now because 11 o'clock is my tea and cake time.
0: I'm just trying to fish a bit of apple out of my tooth. <laughs> my new snack, I recommend the snack, slices of a very green apple with crunchy peanut butter that's been Ooh. moistened with olive oil and you dip the apple in the peanut butter, thus negating any health benefits of eating the
1: apple. <laughs> it's also good with almond butter. Ah,
0: oh, yes,
1: that sounds good.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs>